always question what you're told, always question the data that's in front of you and always think maybe there's a better way to do something. When COVID hit, our main market was the ground handling space, which is basically logistic operations in airports. That was gone in like two weeks. And we're sitting there thinking, okay, do we close shop? Do we reduce the headcount and wait it over? What do we do? In the face of despair, you can get disheartened really easily, but perhaps all you need to do is say, you know, let's just do what we need to do, live our lives, get through it. Whatever happens, happens. We always had the vision that Hoopa will become something for, you know, multiple sectors, multiple markets as an asset intelligence platform that can easily be configured and adapted. The vision is to be the best at what we do, which is creating affordable and efficient and reliable visibility for unpowered assets. Where the world's going, there's going to be a need for viable, affordable and efficient tracking solution. We help companies make their lives better, their operations more efficient, and their customers more happy. Before we jump into our next conversation on the Wolf and Bull podcast, I want to take a quick moment to thank each and every one of you for tuning into this episode. All of the team here at Daremore Media prides themselves in the work that they put into each and every one of our episodes. And the best way to possibly help us is to leave a like, a comment, and a subscription. Our main priority is to facilitate honest conversation with captivating individuals that brings each and every one of our listeners and viewers a nugget of advice, wisdom, or insight that they can take away from every one of our episodes. Again, thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy this episode of The Wolf and Ball. My name is Ty. I am the CEO and co-founder of Hupo. Hupo is an asset intelligence company. We're an Israeli-American company. Uh, what we do is we help global fleets with plenty of unpowered assets, things like trailers, containers, equipment at the airport, get visibility to it and be able to manage those assets and fleet much better. We are 40 people and growing. We're based, our headquarters in Israel. We have an office in Phoenix and we're looking to also expand to the Far East uh, sometime this year. Why does your work and the work of Hupo Asset Intelligence. Why does it matter? It's, it's a question that, you know, we, we need to ask ourselves this every day. I'll give you the answer that we believe in, but we think that we should question this every moment that we go by because there's a, I want to start with a quote from one of our customers. He's a VP of operations in one of the biggest leasing companies in the country. And when he started working with us, he said the following thing. You know what? We did not know what we did not know. And the minute that you start creating visibility to your operations, to your bottlenecks, to the exceptions that your business handles, and you start sharing this also with your customers, then you start creating services and, and values that you couldn't, uh, you couldn't achieve before that. Mm. So that's why it matters. We, we help companies make their lives better, their operations more efficient, and their customers more happy. That's uh, the bottom line at the end of the day, right? Uh, it's all about the customers, customers. So yeah, that's and good. the experience. Ty, can you share a story of how you embarked on your entrepreneurial journey and what inspired you to start your own business? That's a, a great question. And, and you know what? I think for this podcast, I'll tell a story that we've, we've never told before about the, about the actual origin of the company. Awesome. I served in the Israeli uh, intelligence forces under the Israeli Defense Forces. And uh, I've done lots of intrapreneurship there and new technology and things that uh, we can probably not discuss on this podcast. But as soon as I left there, it was clear to me that what I want to do in life is build products. And I worked in a few startup companies in Israel. And then um, my dog got sick. And I wanted to track my dog and monitor its health. Um, unfortunately, Every freaking tracker on the market runs out of battery every couple of days. And so I met with one of my today co-founder and we spoke about that. And we realized that where the world's going, and that was 2016, so quite long ago, where the world's going, there's going to be a need for viable, affordable, and efficient tracking solution. Because it's not just about dogs. It's about everything that you want to know where it's at and how's it doing. Um, I do hope that one day we'll go back to dogs and I can start tracking dogs again. There's this joke in Hoopo, like at the end of the day, it's all, it's all uh, an agenda to go back to tracking my, our friend. dogs. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But yeah, that, that what drove us in the beginning. And from there, 
it was just the the challenges man it's it was you know you encounter a challenge someone has a pain point uh, they cannot uh, do their work properly and you just embark on this challenge and you want to solve it and then win the game and i think i think that's what drives us forward that's really interesting that, that would uh, if you, you had to if you asked me you know if i had to guess you know how it started i would not have said dogs but that's really cool it's all about that eventually yeah right <laughs> exactly uh now how did your upbringing shape your values and influence your approach to business i'm the black sheep and and the reason is my uh, my both my parents are, are professors and phds and extremely smart and uh I do have uncles that are, are businessmen, and I think looking at them, it kind of led me to think maybe it's, academia is not for me. Yeah, I ended up uh, doing a master's in cognitive psychology just so they they don't take all the inheritance away from me and give it to my <laughs> sister. Uh, but but I think I think that that gave me the first drive to try and do something that kind of impacts and changes the world and becomes big. But I will give one great thing to my parents. I think it's critical thinking. And always question what you're told, always question the data that's in front of you and always think if there's maybe there's a better way to do something. Um, so I, I think that my, my dad used to say that when he told me to cut a cucumber, I would compete me with myself on how what's the most optimized way to cut a cucumber. <laughs> and then he thought I'm extremely geeky. My dad is uh, twice my size, uh, ex, ex uh, fighter in the military. Mm. Is a serious person nowadays, but uh, but yeah, I think I think that was the those the things that brought me to where I am today. That's very cool. What about you? <sighs> Honestly, I, I mean, I didn't really have a really good background, mm-hmm. so both of my parents, neither of them were entrepreneurs. Uh, my co-host and also, uh, unironically, my father-in-law, <laughs> um, he super entrepreneur. I mean, he's on multiple businesses. Uh, is currently in San Francisco right now, working with one of those businesses, and. Um, you know, I think I learned a lot of the uh, entrepreneurial aspects from him. Um, a lot of PMA, positive mental attitude stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and in addition to that, he kind of showed me through how he's raised his family, how he's raised uh, my wife, that uh, you can, because he has a similar circumstance yep. to you, his uh, his parents' education, mm-hmm. his entire family's education, that you can break away from you know what your family expects you to do and build something for yourself. So that's kind of what we're doing with Daremore and what we're doing with Wolf and Bull. It's uh, not in the room, so if you also want to say bad things. Oh, yeah, him. yeah. You know, where are you? <laughs> <laughs> no, he's, uh, he's, he's, he's probably one of my best friends. Yeah, no, Chris is um, amazing. Yeah, he's a good cat. So we talked about education. How has your education contributed to your skills and perspectives as a business owner? I think the the amount of time I spent on my education um, might have had a bad impact because it was pretty much a waste of time. Mm. Having said that, I do think it's like, you know, when you go to this lecture and it's extremely boring, but then you get one insight from it that yeah. might have a great impact on, on the rest of your day or week or month or, or, or life even, right? Yeah. I think going, going to... Um, I ended up doing a direct master's degree, as I said, in cognitive psychology. Uh, I think understanding how people think, mm-hmm. the biases that we have, um, the things that lead us to the decisions that we make. Most of my uh, thesis and seminars were on decision making. Mm-hmm. So I think that really helps me understand why people do what they do. And in many cases, they don't understand what they do mm-hmm. or why they do it. Yeah. So, so I think I'm I'm using it uh, wherever I go because... You, you know, this five whys kind of method. Mm-hmm. You always ask why and why and why until you get to the to the sheer truth of, yeah, of why yeah. it's happening. So I, I think that is something that it took me a few years during my uh, education process to, to get. But at the end of the day, you just learn by doing. Yeah. I think when I started, we I was I was 24, now 31. Um, just life and, and and failing stuff and then learning from these mistakes and we keep doing mistakes, but but that's I think that's how I again got to where I am today. But mm-hmm. I'm still far away from where I want to be. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Fail forward, right? Mm-hmm. That's interesting. So obviously, this next question I think you covered already, but um, obviously, education to you is probably not a requirement for mm-hmm. entrepreneurial success. Absolutely not. Yeah, absolutely not. Yeah, it's very interesting. We've Chris and I have had a lot of conversations. Um, the bull, everyone knows mm-hmm. his name. Um, <laughs> we've had a lot of conversations about education and the impact that it kind of plays on on society currently. And, uh, my wife, as you probably saw, she's pregnant and we're about to have a little girl. And I think that's probably one of the, the viewpoints that I'm going to instill in her is education is really important. As long as one, you value the education and two, uh, you don't make it an exact measurement for total success because you, you can concede, can succeed outside of that. I will say, you know, I'm, I'm 
God forbid, I'm not, uh, you know, disapproving anyone who mm-hmm. went and grabbed some education. I think if it fits what you want to do in life mm-hmm. and you're looking for it. And also, I think there's somewhat a level of uh, also enjoying life. Yeah. And it's just something you want to go through and it's an experience. And, and so experiences are important, whether they are during your education or not. So what drives and motivates you on a personal level as an entrepreneur, especially during challenging times? I think there are two things. Um, one is just internal kind of a competitive method of, I always tell my team, you know, I like being the underdog. We, we just love being the underdog. We started tracking, you know, there are dozens of other tracking companies out there. And, you know, two weeks ago, we announced the second largest deal for container tracking in the history of the entire world. Late congratulations. Thank you very much. Yeah, I wasn't for, fishing for it, but, <laughs> but, but keep, keep going. So, so I think, yeah, being the underdog and winning is, is a main driver for me personally. But I think the second thing, which has become the more important thing, is just seeing the impact that we have. And, and you know, when you give something to a customer who's, we don't call them customers, we call them partners because mm-hmm. we work with them. It's not like, hey, here's the tracker, track your trailer and goodbye, pay us a subscription. No, we want to. We have a customer success team. We want to work with them. We want to see how it impacts their life. We want to get feedback, improve the product, change things. This kind of thing, this back and forth, is is what drives me nowadays. It's just super fun, and it's it's nice to see that there's an impact to what we do. It's not just you know two people in the garage anymore. It's forty people changing the logistic world. Have you had any mentors or role models who influenced your entrepreneurial path, and how have they shaped your approach to business? It's it's a great question that um, one of my co-founders, who to me is also one of my mentors, when we started Hupo, um, he said. If you want to have a successful company, you always need to tell the truth to yourself. And so, and that goes back to, you know, fishing for feedback and trying to think whether we're doing the right thing every day and, and ask us questions. I think that has been something I kept with me for the past seven years and it's impacting every day. Um, I'll also have a mentor who I'm, I don't know if he wants me to name his name, so I'll, I'll avoid that, but I'll just say is a very successful entrepreneur, um, now a venture capital investor who lives in, uh, in Los Angeles area. And uh, sometimes experience matters as long as the person you believe in the opinions and the the you know, view on life that the person has. And when I encountered challenges that I've never encountered before, you know, I had someone to go to and ask, uh, hey, what do I do in this situation? He would never give me an answer of do that and do that. He would just ask the questions that would make me think and get to a final decision. I don't know if he was trying to avoid the responsibility <laughs> of telling me what to do, but, but it worked. It worked. I mean, that, that's definitely both ways. I mean, it's a good way to avoid it and a good way to bring someone to a solid conclusion. Back to you, if that's okay. Um, you did mention Chris as a yeah. mentor, right? Uh, sorry, the bull. Um, He's a, do you he, think your life is like completely different before and after 100 percent. yeah uh there's this kind of inside family joke that we've had like the as a i guess an interesting visual anecdote um over the last like because i've been with Jen 13 years going 13 years um i've been married for almost two um but uh or geez almost three um oh man did, cut that out right now um You're but uh, she's she's outside she's not she's listening thing, yeah, yeah she is. <laughs> but uh yeah no i uh he, the int- the interesting joke that we have as a family is that my style like how i present myself has changed like drastically like i used to have like long hair when they first met me and kind of surfer boy because we we're in southern california and now i mean now i only wear gray basically um, <laughs> gray and kind of the same t-shirt all the time um but yeah no he's definitely he has a similar strategy uh, as your mentor um very he's very good at seeing through um emotional bs mm-hmm. um really good at getting down to the point of things. And also I think one of the things that impresses me about him is he has a, a incredible knack for caring about others. Um, I know that sounds kind of cheesy, but, um, but it's something that I've kind of looked at and been like, man, I really want to be able to emulate that in my own life. Um, especially with people I work with and people I meet. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, he's definitely a huge impact on my life. Um, probably would not, I mean, I wouldn't be able to tell you where I'd be if he wasn't there. So now we touched on this in a little bit, but I'd like to dive into it. In what ways has your cultural background influenced your business decisions and worth work ethic? And then as a follow-up for those who have a similar background, do you have any advice to give them if they're looking to start and grow a company like yours? 
I don't know if I'd recommend people to go go and uh, raise their kids uh, in Israel unless they're Israeli, <laughs> yeah. uh, especially at this at this time. Unfortunately, um, yeah. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm always wearing this, which is uh, bring them home uh, yeah. dog tag for the hostages that are currently in Gaza. Actually, uh, one of our investors' son is celebrating 20 today. Wow! And he's 30 meters, 100 feet underground. No one knows what's what's going on for more than 115 days. It's just insane. Yeah. Um. So yeah, uh, putting that aside and moving to to more to happier things, I think um, there is an advantage to our upbringing because. Yeah. There are so many challenges in front of you that it, you just have to think outside the box. And, you know, my um, my parents have this story where they uh, went to an Elton John concert in London. And when they went out of the concert, there was this huge line to the subway there um, getting back to the hotel. Do you know what they did? Mm-mm. They took the subway to the other direction, like outside huh. of town. Huh. One station, got out, got back in, zero line. They enter in. Smart. They see they see two other couples uh, that did the same. They all spoke Hebrew. No way. They were all from Israel. <laughs> oh wow! So I'm not, I'm not saying that Israelis are smarter than anyone else or whatever, but I think there yeah. is somewhat to the to the fact that you have to think outside the box. And actually, there was a poll not recently, not an official one or something, about if the U.S. had offered Israel to join as another state, <laughs> would we? I think 71 percent of people said yes immediately. I I would be all so. For that. So I think there's yeah. somewhat. I, so also to that, I think that the connection that the Israel Israelis have with Americans and vice versa. I think that's also very fruitful. I can't take credit for it, but we're enjoying it. And we, you know, I feel at home here. Yeah, it's uh, not to dive too deep into it, but if you had told me things going on today would have been happening 10 years ago and how people in this country, specifically my mm-hmm. age and younger, um, how can I say this? Uh, the, some of the positions that they've taken, uh, I probably would have thought it was a really terrible joke, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, you're in you're in good company here um were there any specific challenges during your upbringing that provided valuable lessons for your career as a child um it's a it's a good question which i you know i've never really thought uh deep off um karen my girlfriend when not if when when we have children Mm -hmm. um i think sending them to a sport Mm -hmm. if you know um doing sports doing uh music doing arts i think that my Parents, I have to thank them every single day for the fact that one, they sent me to do so many things when I was a kid. Mm. But on the other hand, they never made me do something that didn't fit what I wanted to do, um, including English lessons from the age of three, which allows <laughs> me to be here on the podcast today. But yeah, no. So so I, th- I think that's it. It's, it's collecting, again, the experiences in order to eventually be whatever you'll become because it's yeah. hard to predict where yeah. you're going to go. Jen always talks about how, uh, you know, Chris and Jackie didn't really force her to mm-hmm. do, uh, like think she wasn't interested in doing. And I think that's a really good parenting style to be honest. But with it's you. same as management. You know, mm-hmm. I, I would, I'd never, I try to avoid, sometimes you have to tell someone to do something because there's a fire to put out, but some, in many cases, I'd never try to tell people, Hey, do this and do that. I bring them the problem or the desired outcome. And we think together about what we need to do because when it's something that they connect with and that comes from within, from them, they're much more emotionally attached to the task. Mm-hmm. And then the performance is a hundred times better. So, so I always try to do that. Now, that's interesting. Do you think that that was a more of a nurture aspect from your parents? Or do you think that was like a skill that you cultivated as time went on? I think I think it's both, you know, both, you know, a nature versus nurture kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but I still think, no, I think it's more uh, nurture yeah interesting but it's also the the positive feedback of seeing that how well mm-hmm. it works there's i don't know if you read the the sun tzu art of war kind of a book it's on our shelf it's over there. there on the yeah, shelf yeah. great but there's one thing i love there it's like the worst leader is someone that you're afraid of so you do what they they tell you and then you have the one that you um you admire and so you want to do what they do and then but the best now the bottom line is that the best leader is the one that you don't really know that they exist. Because, you know, you end up doing what they wanted you to do, but you don't. they don't necessarily tell you to do it. They don't mm. command you. They they partner with you and they let you bring it up. And, and I think that's kind of what I want to be in life. Yeah, no, that's really good. So another question about that. So I see that from, you know, perspective of working in different companies and meeting different people. I see that as more of a 
wanting to retain control, like forcing someone to do something mm-hmm. or being willing to give up control. Would you say that's the same for you? Absolutely. And mm-hmm. I think I find it really hard mm-hmm. to lose the control. Mm-hmm. I find it really hard to, to delegate my responsibilities and, uh, I don't think I'm perfect at it. If you speak to our employees, they will tell you that, you know, there are some things they know that they would need to come to me and ask if that's okay or not. But, but still, you know, when we were five people in the garage, you know, everything, you do everything. When you're 13 mm-hmm. people, you kind of still maintain control. But when you're 40 people or a hundred people, you have to find it in you to, to delegate and trust and, and let other people's lead other people lead. And, you know, that's, that's life. Was there a, pivotal moment during the growth of the business where you felt personally i need to release and relinquish some control yeah um i bought the aura ring because i don't sleep much and it monitors my sleep uh, besides telling me that i don't sleep it doesn't help much <laughs> but but when i yeah when i went days by days without sleep because there were so many tasks to do and uh, I, I understood that there you know you cannot move forward like yeah. this and you have again to be more trustworthy you have to choose the right people mm-hmm. um and and then that's the only way to grow always i think also remember i know again cheesiness but you're not always right mm-hmm. you may think you're always right but you're not uh, yeah. so you have to remind that to yourself and and let other people do some stuff and maybe maybe you'll see that you were wrong and they had a better idea we touched on this briefly but how would you describe your leadership style and how do you ensure it aligns with the culture and goals of hoopo it's a Again, a daily struggle between uh, wanting to be a, a chaos manager, which is basically let's improvise, let's move faster than everyone else, let's tackle tasks one after another, versus the understanding that as you grow, you need to be more uh, process oriented. So I will I will not give you an answer as to my leadership uh, model because I think it changes between the different aspects of the company. Mm-hmm. Um, somewhere I wear the hat of uh, being the one that you know puts in the processes and demands uh, everyone to do something in a certain way or a certain method so things don't fall you know between chairs. And but on the other hand, I try to let I, I never micromanage. I would never do that. Um, but talk to me in two years and I'll let you know. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, it seems like you're you're saying, you know, know your audience, basically. You know, you don't treat every single mm-hmm. individual employee the same exact way. That, that's always true. I mean, every yeah. person is, is, is a different person. Mm-hmm. I also think that for specific people, there are different tasks that need to be uh, managed differently. How would you recommend for people looking to get into business or people who are currently business owners, how would you recommend they approach that type of thinking with their employees? One thing I'm doing right now, for example, is... Uh, there are many people at Hoopo that are now uh, reading the same book. Mm. The reason we're doing that is because there are some things that we want to happen in in a certain way. And I think passing it through an objective narrative, someone else who has a very good story to tell, allows me to move people toward the similar mindset mm. without really you know, doing anything about it. But I'm, I'm saying it here because I'm also saying the same to them. They know why we're giving them the book and, uh, and why we're trying to take this in a good way. Because at the end of the day, and uh, I think, uh, I don't remember the name. I think it was the Clippers coach mm. who came in on the first day um, to the dressing room and said, you know, I'm a person. I'm going to make mistakes. Everyone is ma- will make mistakes. Tell me when I'm mistaken and I'll try and fix it. But every decision I make is because I think of the benefit of the company and in most cases, it aligns, aligns with your personal benefit. So I think that's that's how I try to navigate the ship with all the employees toward the sanctuary or a successful uh, treasure island. Yeah, like Depending, that. you can choose your analogy. I like that. A treasure island's good. I like yep. that. episode's brought to you by Americano Ammunition Coffee, serving true American patriots the means to defend their freedom one caffeinated caliber at a time. Make sure to visit their website, ammoandcoffee.com, and grab yourself a bag of their amazing coffee beans. Or, if you happen to be in the Arizona area, visit their shop in Queen Creek. Make sure to mention the Wolf and Bull, and you'll get 25% off your order. Oh! Go to ammoandcoffee.com, or I'll attack you. I'm Murphy. Now, how do you personally approach and adapt to change both in the market and within your organization? There's no, uh, can you say in English, holy cows? Yeah. Okay. So there's there, <laughs> no holy cows at Hoopo. Yeah. You can, you can, we, we tell the, the employee on the first day of work, 
there's hierarchy to decision making because someone has to make a decision at the end of the day, but there's no hierarchy to voicing opinions. Mm. And there's no departments. If, if you're a product manager, but you think that sales could improve doing uh, A and A, A and B, go and tell them that it's expected of you. So I think listening to everyone and seeing lots of viewpoints allows us to really adapt to change quickly and see how the market goes. And I think if you speak to our customers or partners, you will learn that we're probably the fast movers when it comes to challenges and new features and things that needs to be need to be resolved. Now, a side question to that. How do you mm-hmm. say during meetings, how do you mitigate they have a different term, but I guess it's the only one I can utilize. How do you mitigate groupthink? You know, the, the main challenge, I think, with groupthink is that if you are louder, more opinionated, you may get heard more mm-hmm. than others. I try when I'm in the room, but I'm not always in the room. Uh, but I know others who would do the same. We try methodically to make sure that everyone gets addressed and that if someone's quiet for a longer time than others, then we need to ask them what, what they think. Mm. Um, it's, it's, you know, democracy is a good thing. Sometimes it may slow things down. Yeah. Um, so again, someone needs to make a decision at the end of the day. Uh, and then I think that to mitigate the group thinking from a completely different perspective we're saying it's okay to make a decision and fail mm. as long as we do it quickly mm. because then we can iterate, revert, change the path. Uh, but, but it's a good question. What, what do you hear from others about group thing? Well, I think the reason I ask is because back to my experience in the corporate world, a lot of the CEO or the president or an upper management C-level exec would pitch an idea mm-hmm. and a lot of the employees would parrot the idea back. And, I don't necessarily think there's anything wrong with that. Um, I think that sometimes there are wonderful ideas from upper level management. Um, but at the same time, I found that if, if someone pairs their idea first, normally the employees will vocalize it back to them. Mm-hmm. And in the environment that I was in, there wasn't a huge amount of mitigation or maybe restraint would probably be a better term um, on behalf of upper level management to try and reel it back a little bit to get an open opinion, even though, and this might be, this might be my cynicism coming Mm -hmm. through or pessimism. Um, Even though they would allow everyone to talk, there was very much a, you kind of knew when the group shifted into Mm -hmm. doing what they asked, if that makes sense. And um, it's really, I've haven't experienced many circumstances or situations personally as a former employee or even speaking with other business owners where there is a conscious understanding as you've kind of Mm -hmm. explained, um, that they implement themselves. And I always think that personally, when it comes to businesses, if there's not that understanding, you could just be going in circles because sometimes people make a decision. That's a really good one. And then they realize that's a good one. And then they double down on the other decisions when yeah. it might not be the best, you know? Yeah, no, it's, it's a really good uh, thinking point that I've, I've never looked at from, from like the outside perspective. But um, I don't know if the reason for what I'm about to say is uh, because we're leading by example or because this are the kind of people that we brought in, but we're only 40 people. Mm. We have so many things that we want to accomplish. And there are only 24 hours uh, in every day if you don't sleep. Uh, and therefore, I think it pushes people and managers at our company to expect the employees to not come with uh, a challenge or something that needs to be done. They need to come with a proactive concept and opinion of what needs to be done. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that creates more ability for everyone to express and suggest uh, sort of ideas. It's more of a collaborative approach. Yeah, exactly right. Kind of final personal question. How do you balance professional commitments and personal life as an entrepreneur? You choose a partner who's as busy as you are. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. That's good. But but I also think like work and relationship, uh, uh, it's about transparency. Mm Mm-hmm. You may have uh, months where someone needs uh, more attention and, and you, you have to find uh, the way to balance it. I would want to go back to work out more. Mm. I can't say I'm balancing it good. I mean, Hoopo is, is my life 99% of the time. But but I think it's okay, you know, to also bring uh, work to life and mm. life to work because I think I think that frees you up from thinking, oh, you know, when am I done? When am I going to do other stuff? It's, it's all together and you need to enjoy the journey. Otherwise... We can all go home and, and do something else. Yeah, our, our previous client talked about how you can't really, as a business owner, you can't entirely separate 
Uh, it's just not feasible, but it is interesting to get your perspective on it. And that was, that was a good, that was a good quote. And you need to be open to feedback, even in a relationship. So, and I think, yeah. I think that helps. How long have uh, you and your girlfriend been together? Uh, we've been together, you're putting me on the spot there. Now we really are not going to let her listen in. Um, I think it's been almost, yeah, five years almost. Wow. How'd yeah. you guys meet? Fun, funny story we were i was living in uh tel aviv which is i think the equivalent of like new york or mm-hmm. something with uh two other roommates friends who i grew up with and one of them left we're looking for uh another person to join and she was like on the top of our list we didn't know her from before she, she moved in um which is something i recommend to everyone because for six months we've been living together as as flatmates roommates she got to do due diligence on me i did due diligence on her we mm-hmm. figured that we could live together we started as friends i had a girlfriend she had a boyfriend and we just you know became really really good friends and after six months we just said uh you know the the passion came out of the really out of the blue and then rest is history two months later we moved in and uh now it's really ancient history that's awesome yeah that's awesome yeah, i a, don't think i know how you guys met though well did you already tell it on the podcast we don't want to bore oh no it. we can bring it up again uh so i met jen while i was in college um and it's probably the silliest cheesiest um story ever but uh, it was a political science class mm-hmm. and when i was uh, going to cal state san marcos i wanted to uh major in political science and then i realized uh i probably want to keep my soul <laughs> so uh, maybe not that uh but i still love the idea and the topic of politics i love discussing it with individuals uh it doesn't matter what the side they're on i think it's good to be in the middle and take ideas from either side um as long as they're reasonable and logical ideas with that being said uh she sat down next to me well actually let me re- rewind i saw her and mm-hmm. i was with uh, one of my friends at the time i think his name was like jeff or something like that um don't talk to him anymore <laughs> it's been a long time uh but i was i saw her and i said that's a really really attractive woman i'm gonna get her number and he looked at me and said no you're not and so that was into that class the next class happened she's not there and i said oh well she's not she's not there i guess that ship sailed uh long story short two weeks later she comes back uh i'm in the front row listening to our our political science teacher talk who happened to also be a narcoleptic um which was funny he would come to class uh <laughs> wearing sandals and socks and he'd pace back and forth in front of the class and i, I leaned over and i said it's like 96 degrees outside and she has black pants on and i couldn't think of anything other to say than uh are you hot in those pants and her exact <laughs> phrase back to me was i don't know am i um so it, it's cheesy it's very cheesy um but that's how we met i followed so basically her you stalked her for two weeks oh, dude, and then you said the most horrible things basically. and she was kind enough to still be polite to you 100 and, and then fell for you for well, some so unapparent uh, reason exactly right <laughs> well what's funny is I, I ended up leaving the class room and following her out of class and i needed to have like a reason to get her to stay around um because she was she was talking with me but it was obvious she had to get to her next class and one of my uh, good friends from high schools who i still know today uh jordan who's been on the podcast he uh he showed up and i said hey jordan i need to introduce jen to you um and i mean i was nervous and awkward and young young and dumb but uh yeah that's how we met and i mean 13 years later we're 21 weeks pregnant and uh yeah got a dog and a no house. churn nice retention you got the reference from the friend you right mean, yeah <laughs> that's good job <laughs> that's you the see advice you can separate the life and work but yeah exactly. no I'm, you guys are very very cool thank you thank you same to yourself i'd love to meet your girlfriend one day yeah we'll bring her here next time definitely um so now let's jump into some questions about a uh, uh, hoopo now per your website Mm-hmm. And this is a quote. Businesses can enjoy improved asset visibility, enhanced operational efficiency, reduced downtime, optimized resource allocation and increased productivity. Our solution helps businesses make data driven decisions, streamline processes and reduce costs. How does Hoopo stand out in a market with numerous competitors offering a similar solution? The one word we start starting to hate is visibility. You know, everyone says it, but. Yeah. Everyone says they're doing it. Everyone says you should do it, but no one really knows how it's done. Mm-hmm. And what we try to do is take a very uh, bottoms up pragmatic approach. We create the tracking, the visibility, the actual visibility per se. What's going on? What's the status of your assets? Where are they? Um, the reason we stand out compared to our competitors is because most of our investment has been into technology and we have a very unique location tech that basically means that every single tracker 
is way, way more power efficient. So it lasts for a much longer time. It has multiple location and communication technologies. So it works indoors, outdoors, in very challenging, harsh environments, in maritime, transportation, intermodal, you name it. And it's therefore also much more cost affordable. We call it the three C's. Consumption, coverage, and cost. We're better on all those three. So that's why we get the business. But that's only the start. What happens there, you create the visibility and it's reliable. So you can start, as the quote said, you can start making data-driven decisions because we have a customer, one name names, here in the U.S., manages uh, operations in multiple airports across the country. Mm. The first year, they used Hoopo, and that was an ROI that we didn't think of even. They realized how many assets are sitting idle, not doing anything, and it was the first year in the past two decades that they did not invest hundreds of thousands of dollars in buying new equipment for the following year. Because people ask for, you know, for the same budget, for more equipment, et cetera. There's no need for it. Yeah. So, so that's what data-driven decision uh, allows you to do. Just make smarter, more accurate decisions. And it happens on a day-to-day operations, and it happens on a more macro level, big data, resource allocation, procurement, et cetera, et cetera. Now, in follow-up, what specific methods if any, do you employ to analyze and stay ahead of your competition? We have people, you know, doing what everyone else is doing, you know, market research is going to conferences like the one we're meeting in in Vegas <laughs> next week. It's going to be fun. Uh, yeah, it will be absolutely <laughs> fun. Um, it, just, you know, looking at what the, what the market trends are. However, our personal belief is there is so much noise there and people are sometimes talking about things that will take you know, a decade to implement. What we like doing is sitting with the customers, understanding the pain points, mm. not the solutions. You know, Henry Ford said when, uh, if I were to ask people what they wanted at the time, they would said, give me faster horses. <laughs> they wouldn't say <laughs> build a car with four wheels and a wheel. Um, so, so we're trying to listen to the pain points and then we're going back to the office and we're thinking, okay, what has the biggest impact? What has the biggest market opportunity? And how do we prioritize this over the next year or so? Yeah, I just imagine Henry Ford made faster horses and now we have eight lane highways with a bunch of fast horses. On yeah, them. yeah. <laughs> um, now, what's your strategy for ensuring the long-term sustainability of your business amidst technological advancements and shifting consumer preferences? All big questions. Um, now, I, I think that, um, and and we kind of said it, and I know it still sounds cheesy, but I, I mean it like 100%. It's okay if you have a, a technological advantage and it, it's okay if you keep ahead of the, you know, the differentiation when it comes to whether it's pricing or again, you know, features and technology, etc. At the end of the day, it's building very, very good report mm-hmm. with the customers mm-hmm. and it's trying to predict um, what kind of new product offerings you could give them to either solve a huge pain point that they have or will have or to improve what they try to achieve, customer experience, for example. Mm-hmm. And one feature that, for example, we did not yet release, but we know that it will be there, so it's already up and running with some of our beta customers, is the ability to automatically share the status of a shipment cargo asset with their customers. So think like Amazon or DHL, you get the tracking link. Mm-hmm. If you lease a chassis or if you order a container from a steam shipping line, you get the location of it. You know wow. if the door's being opened, you know if there was a shock to it. You can start promising the quality to your customers. And I think that's kind of, at least in the foreseeable future, that's how we're going to change the world. Big question. Uh, how do you think artificial intelligence is going to impact, one, the industry as a whole, so logistics or the industries you work within, and two, your product? Yeah, so so hopefully you'll get uh, some uh, some uh, money for the sponsorship we'll give Manifest now. But uh, <laughs> on the recent podcast with, with uh, Manifest, which is, again, the conference we're heading to uh, next week, um, we spoke about a similar thing, and I, I really like something that was said there, and that's and it goes back to data. I mean, the decisions we make are only as good as the data that we have. Now, AI may have the chance to you know transform logistics and of course many other things in the world but there are two big ifs that need to be solved first one how do you make sure the data that the ai is relying on is reliable unbiased Mm -hmm. um, and clean also yeah and and the other thing is how uh 
how do you make AI conscious enough to the critical thinking that we discussed at the beginning of this podcast, mm-hmm. meaning that, okay, it has enough data to make a certain decision, but now it's shipping a container from point A to point Z. Mm-hmm. Does it know that on social media in a country in the Far East, there's starting to be communications about a protest in a port where the ship's going to get to in two weeks, and now it needs to consider that as well, and what kind of weight does it give that? Yes, maybe it can do it better than humans, but it's very hard to predict, especially with AI that teaches itself, like AGI, what kind of additional data sources will will it include? Mm-hmm. Some people will say that even if it makes mistakes or doesn't look at all the data sets, it would still be better than us people. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's really hard. We're opening our eyes to it. Um, lots of people say they do AI, but you know it's basically, you know, just lots of efelses or, or yeah. you know NLP kind of thing. But. Well, it's so well that well interesting side note question. Are you are you a pro artificial intelligence individual or are you a critical artificial intelligence individual? No, I'm 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 pro every technological advancement. I mm-hmm. think. Uh, of course, you know, many things have caused uh, lots of damage throughout the history of the world. You know, nuclear fusion killed a lot of people. But mm-hmm. if you really look at the amount of people that it killed versus the amount of people that it might save, including the entire world, because we don't need fossil fuel, maybe. Yeah. So, you know, it's a price that we have to pay. And we, our lives are not really long as individuals, but mm-hmm. in the history of the world, I think uh, AI is going to take us to good places. I'd like to hope so. I'm uh, a little apprehensive about it. I think that the reason I'm apprehensive about it is because I think there's a lot of, I don't want to say there's like a, definitely maybe not a, a cognitive dissonance, but there's mm-hmm. a lot of um, over optimism. Mm-hmm. And when I tend to see that from, especially large industries that have unfortunately over the last few years been proven to be pretty biased. Um, I tend to get a little critical of it. I think it's amazing technology. Mm-hmm. I mean, but you look at a company like Google and you know, them doing uh, some interesting search manipulation yes. and all that stuff. It's kind of like, of course, and, and they've been doing this before AI, but, mm-hmm. uh, but and again, not necessarily just one name Google, but companies in general just generally are yeah. doing that. Um, and, and yeah, it gives them maybe an unfair advantage, but you know, maybe someone will come in a year or so and build AI that detects when these companies do it. And it was, you were never able to detect that. And maybe mm-hmm. now you'll have a flag near a post on Facebook that says, this is fake. Someone yeah. manipulated. In, in cybersecurity, for example, the attackers are always more advanced mm-hmm. than the defenders mm-hmm. because it's sometimes hard to defend from something you don't know what it is, right? Yeah. I think I think this is kind of what we're starting to experience with with AI. Um, it will be interesting to see where it goes. I'm, I'll, I'll be I'm with you on the fact that I'm not so optimistic that it's gonna be the extremely revolutionary, you know, mm-hmm. robotic humans yeah, tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. I don't think we're there, um, but it's definitely something that everyone's looking into for for a good reason. Yeah, and no, I think there's definitely gonna be positive outcomes. I'm not a like doom. I don't like. I don't like being a dooms doomsayer, but uh, at the same time, it's like you look at something like like Neuralink, for example, and it's like, whoa, that is really incredible. Yeah, and also humanity. Humanity has I don't know why it's in us, but of course it is. We're we're all somewhat you know doomsdayers. A little so, bit. Yeah, yeah. We, I don't know why you know it's part of our lives, and we we have to th- we love thinking about things you know and what could possibly go wrong catastrophic <laughs> manner but yeah. but to some extent it also saves us sometimes from getting there yeah, because we true. some people do take it that way mm-hmm. well on that note of a uh, doom saying <laughs> with the events of the past four years yes. how is your business prepared to navigate and thrive in an unpredictable global economic landscape when COVID hit for example our main market was the ground handling space which is basically logistic operations in airports mm. That was gone in like two weeks. And we're sitting there thinking, okay, do we do we close shop? Do we reduce the headcount and wait it over? What do we do? And we always had the vision that Hoopa will become something for, you know, multiple sectors, multiple markets as a as an asset intelligence platform that can easily be configured and adapted to various use cases and markets. We sat down with a team. We actually also reduced 
the salaries for the entire company for three months. Mm-hmm. And we told people, if you agree, you, it's okay if you don't agree and we'll give you all the benefits that you deserve. Um, but if you agree and stay, if we go past this, we'll give you one and a half times what you gave up on wow. in shares or cash, your choice. Wow. They all sticked. No one left. <laughs> no one left. That's a great well, Because there was, there was a concern and, you know, we're yeah. completely focused on the air, airport space. Um, and what we said is, okay, you know what? Let's, let's take the leap mm-hmm. and let's move to the next market that we're only thinking of going there in six to nine months. Mm-hmm. That was the chassis leasing market, mm-hmm. which is the second largest market we have now um, alongside the container uh, tracking market. So, so I think it's being very open with the team understanding the shit happens mm-hmm. and just understanding that whatever happens happens but you have to try and cope with it as soon as possible with full motivation and and it, in hindsight covid changed our lives mm-hmm. for the better people understand the challenge of what happens when you don't have visibility and unpredictable stuff happens mm-hmm. completely transformed the market and i think with it's funny to say, but without COVID, we wouldn't be where we are now. And we're very happy that we have had to go through the struggles. The interesting thing about COVID is because we were in California at the time, everything shut down. Mm-hmm. Everything was, it was like a ghost town. I mean, and, you know, I, I wouldn't consider a uh, Jen and myself um, too far left, too far right. But us going out and about, we'd get looks, you know, mm-hmm. go out and live life. Normally people would be like, why are you out and about? Um, but, uh, yeah, the people who actually, the companies and the people who actually moved during that period and didn't just cease everything, I think are the people that came through the best, honestly. I agree. We saw, um, we saw our competitors, you know, um, break down, get sold, stop business. Mm-hmm. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's just astonishing. I mean, that's yeah. uh, on a side note, just astonishing that whole Yeah, no, so, sometimes in the face of, uh, you know, again, cheesiness fourth time in a row, right? We're, we're all cheesy <laughs> on this, this episode. I think in the, in the face of despair, um, you can get this hearted really, really easily, but perhaps all you need to do is say, you know, let's just do what we need to do, mm-hmm. live our lives, get through it. And again, whatever happens, happens. Um, I think I can give you a hundred like decisions where we could have gone left or right. And had we gone the other way, I think our situation would have been horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, but we didn't know. So you also need luck. Mm-hmm. But uh, the here's another cliche for you the the harder you practice the luckier you get that's good it's a matter of opportunities and if you just try and try and try then eventually something would catch on yeah and action kills fear doesn't it mm-hmm. another one is a thief is a comparison is the thief of joy true um how do you make critical decisions for your business especially when faced with for example covid complex and ambiguous situations you need to collect as many opinions as as you can as fast as you can we've discussed this but then you just have to make a decision. You know, yes, if you're making a decision that is tremendously important for the business and has a huge financial impact because you're taking this huge debt loan with a big interest rate, um, you have to look at the numbers and make sure that you make uh, an important, you know, the right call. Yeah. But most decisions that we make throughout the day are not life and death decisions. And if we stall and wait until we have all the data, we, we wouldn't move forward. Mm-hmm. So we just know it, Hupo. We make decisions fast, we run with them, but we continue to monitor if they're wrong or not. And there's always time to take the the other path. In the face of ethical dilemmas, how do you maintain a strong ethical foundation for your business and what processes are in place to address such challenges? This is one of the most important questions um, that we need to address always uh, in a company, no matter which company, Hoop or other, and make it very, very clear to the employees that in the face of an ethical dilemma, we always take the ethical approach. Mm. If there's a, a bug on the system or something's not working for the customer, we don't need to make up excuses. I mean, it's not gonna be any help. We, we need to tell them the truth, resolve it fast. And I believe that we have two of our largest customers. When we started working with them, it was a disaster. Disaster, not just not because our products didn't work, but because maybe the expectation management wasn't good enough and maybe they installed the trackers in a location that they shouldn't have. And there were all these issues, but we were transparent. We're fast. We fixed it. The amount of respect that we have we, we now have from them and the trust that no matter what happens, we will be there to support them. I think in the long run, 
that wins you more business than it loses. And therefore we make it clear to the employees, it's not just because we're saying, okay, make the ethical decision. It's because it's the right decision for the business in the long term. What is your long-term vision for Hupo? And how do you ensure that day-to-day operations align with the broader strategic goals that you've set? It's funny because most companies, you know, they build a vision and then after two years, they, they, they change it. Uh, mm-hmm. We just say that we have two potential paths on which we'll embark. And this is either becoming the platform for asset intelligence or becoming the go-to house for converting assets into smart assets. I think those visions align because you can do both of them. But the world grows. You have the P44s the four kites, other kinds of companies that we're also open to collaborate with and co- and we actually do that. And so the vision is to be the best at what we do, mm. which is creating affordable and efficient and reliable visibility for unpowered assets. And, and this simple sentence just clarifies to everyone what they need to do. Of course, we have all, you know, we have our core values and everything, but going back to your and mine cynicism and, and sarcasm, you know, it's it's nice to have on the wall, you know, a few words that yeah. mean something. Follow the dream. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> have a growth. Oh, someone's going to fire me for that, but like, have a growth mindset. Like, w- w- what does it mean? And we, uh, we have exactly. it, we have it on the wall. We have it yeah. on the wall because sometimes you do need to be reminded mm. you know what's important when you face when you face a dilemma so it's less about you know the vision you know let's be the biggest in what we do in the world it's more about make the right choices be the right person and and eventually we'll get we'll get there or we'll get somewhere but it will be good well those are attainable too i mean like uh the <laughs> growth mindset i've always wondered like, what do you mean like in every facet like am i continually growing like a, obviously growth for the sake of growth isn't necessarily growth so that's uh that's interesting that's very good um now ty thank you so much for this conversation thank you for having really me. really appreciate yeah, it same. what would be the best way for our audience to support you and your company hoopo asset intelligence um well first off if you want to improve your operations and you own unpowered assets, you, you just go to hoopo, H-O-O-P-O dot tech. By the way, hoopo is a, a type of a bird, word in English. Mm. It's the national bird of Israel, one hell of a navigator. Um, and uh, also, uh, hoopo in Hebrew means it's here. Wow. You see, looking the bird up. I, I am it's looking a, the bird. That's a cool looking bird. It's a cool looking bird. It's a Eurasian wow. bird. Um very very cool look look it up audience it's very cool um and and so if you need help we're here to help you but if you if you want to partner if you want to ask us questions if you need help from us just there's phone number email addresses on the website just reach out uh connect to me over linkedin um the one thing i like the most about the tech industry and i think in in the restaurant industry it's somewhat similar in other industries too is that everyone really wants to help other people without necessarily getting something in return besides karma. Mm. So whatever we can do for you, just reach out.